Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. This is a place to get equipped to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So get ready to be empowered by this message. You may remember last week that during our the time after worship, I was up here trying to explain something that the Lord was depositing in my spirit, and then I finally put words to it, right? And it comes out as like a five-word phrase. Has ever happened to you? Like you spent days and weeks trying to describe something of God. You finally get the words for it. You're like, oh, that was simple. How, how come I didn't get that before? But it came out as God didn't save you to get something out of you, to get something from you. God didn't save you to get something from you. And as soon as I said that, it's like it came down from heaven and it hit. And it's like, Phew. I finally got it. And I want you to remember that God didn't save you to get something from you. And so to build upon that, the Lord took me to Galatians. He's like, now that you know that and understand that, go read the book of Galatians. And so that's what I'm going to do for you today. I'm going to read the book of Galatians. And we do this from time to time here at No Limits. I'll stand up here and I'll read you a whole book of the Bible. Can you believe that we would read that much of the Bible in church? What a strange thing to do. Now, you can follow along if you like, but I'm actually going to encourage you to just listen today because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. It doesn't come by reading, and I'm not saying that reading is a bad thing, but there's something about hearing. You do realize that we were made in God's image, right? You do realize that we were made in God's image, right? And what sets us apart from the rest of creation? Our ability to speak. You think that might be why we have such a hard time communicating with each other? Have you ever misunderstood somebody? Have you ever been misunderstood? Like every moment of every day, right? Even with your spouse, even when you've been married for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you're, you still misunderstand each other. This gift that we've been given of language is a powerful gift. And when we speak God's word, faith is deposited into us. So that's what's going to happen as I read this today. Are you ready? Will you, will you till up your ground today and just receive from the word of God? I want you to just imagine that this is the first time that we've received this letter from the Apostle Paul. Now, we're the church in Galatia, and he sent this letter to us, and, and here I'm up, maybe I'm Timothy or somebody that Paul sent to read this letter to you today. Can you put yourself in, in, in that? Because that's how this was written. So here we go. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world which we live. Aren't you thankful? All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> and now we're about to get into it. Are you ready? I'm going to try to read this with as much passion as the Apostle Paul probably wrote it with. I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. And I say again what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. 
Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I've received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how violently I persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met with at the time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north to the provinces of Syria and Sicilia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew is what people were saying. The one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. Man, why is Paul being so feisty? Do you notice how feisty he was? So, is the Bible app going to take over for me? You know why Paul was being so feisty? Because he, went, he planted this church in Galatia, and then somebody came in right behind him and perverted the gospel. And he had to write to them and correct it. And so he's establishing what I told you was true. Because they were having a hard time. Was, is Paul really an apostle? Does Paul really know what he's talking about? And you just got to love how bold he is about, yes, I do. And so whenever somebody tries to challenge the true gospel, you have to have the same boldness as Paul does and say, yes, I have the true gospel. Chapter two, then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, and this time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those who, who were considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I'd been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. <laughs> All right, Apostle Paul, just tell it. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas to keep me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. Peter, upon you I will build, you are the rock, I'll build my church. Right? This is who we're talking about, Peter. Paul goes up and he opposes Peter. 
When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, their Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles, yet we know that a person is not a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. Somebody say amen to that. And we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law that I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Christ Jesus' death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on a cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After, again, I'm reading Galatians. This, this isn't my sermon today. This is the Apostle Paul calling you, calling you foolish. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? I love that. Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Why are you trying to earn something from God by your own human effort? Because he did not save you to get something out of you. He saved you because he loves you. Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, did God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. Ooh, let that tear this down right now. We're not waiting to be perfect before God works miracles in this place. It's by faith and faith alone. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. That's when the miracles come. Because you believe the message that you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. 
So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. It's going to say that two more times in the same book. Darla receives it. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. Whoa. Whoa. Live by faith, blessing of Abraham. Woo! Try to live by the law, curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it's through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everybody who hangs on a tree. Through Jesus Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Look at somebody next to you and say, you've been rescued from the curse. Do you have to worry about the curse? But what if you don't give your tithe? Is that curse going to come upon you? No, because you've been rescued from the curse. Are you getting it? I think you need to look at, look at your neighbor again and say, you've been rescued from the curse. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. So this is what I'm trying to say. The agreement that God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Did you catch the key words in there? You receive it by accepting God's promise because he gave you the promise. It's a gift. Why then was the law given? Right? Question of the many. Why, why do we have the law then? What's that all about? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. <laughs> have you ever noticed you need somebody to help you see the, the things in your life that need to change? Let's just put it that way. Have you ever been blind to your own shortcomings? And then somebody tells you and you're like, oh, how did I not see that? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. And now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we would be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. This is good, isn't it? Gospel stuff right here. Just getting to the foundation of the gospel. 
Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it to you another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Okay, I think it actually just said it four times, right? Apparently, that's the point he's trying to drive home. The promise he gave to Abraham belongs to you. Tell your neighbor that. The promise God gave to Abraham belongs to you. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children... Those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it is with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were like slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Hmm. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that did not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again to become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. Let me put it to you this way. You're trying to earn favor with God by what you do, as if he saved you to get something out of you. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I've become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn away. No, you took me in and you cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? That's what's coming back today. Joy is on this. There, there's, okay. Sorry, just had a revelation right there. This is what it's like when Cade studies his Bible on his own time. Like I'm reading along and then I just get hung up on. Yeah. Oh. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? Can we go back to our first love? <laughs> I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if, I, if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. 
They're trying to shut you off from me so that you'll pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. (laughs) And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so that I could change my tone. But at a distance, I don't know how else to help you. So tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. (laughs) Are you hearing it? These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break (laughs) into a joyful... Shout. You who have never been in labor, just compose yourself, Keith. Read the word. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. When you start living free, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be persecuted by the religious people who want you to go back in bondage to trying to earn God's favor. But what do the scriptures say about that? (laughs) What do the scriptures say about when somebody does that to you? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. And now you know what to do when that religious spirit tries to show up. You get rid of it. You get rid of it. Don't tolerate it. So Christ has truly set us free. Woo! Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Harsh language. That's how serious it is. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What's important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. You were running it so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God. 
for he's the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting that the Lord, I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say that I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ alone, no one would be offended. I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. I would have loved to be in the Apostle Paul's services. Yes. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. And now he's going to clear some stuff up for us. But don't you use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Did you just see who the good works are actually for? People. For the whole law can be summed up into this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, because then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Notice he didn't say, so try hard to live a righteous life. No, he just says, let the Holy Spirit lead your life. Because when the Holy Spirit's leading your life, you don't do what your sinful nature craves. He made the way. He's given you the power to live pure. Hasn't he? This sinful nature, it wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But you don't have to live that way. (laughs) Some people use that scripture and say, you're going to be in a fight all your life. No, keep reading the scripture, please. But when you are directed by the spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. That is your answer. If you feel like you're having a conflict on the inside of you all the time, be directed by the Spirit instead of your flesh. You're like, okay, let's just make an adjustment here. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living like that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross, and they crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by some sin, rake him over the coals. Make sure the whole church knows. Talk about him. To as many people as you can, go and gossip and make sure the whole church... Boo! Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin... Don't help them, just leave them to their own. You who are godly should gently and humbly help that other person back on to the right path. Actually, here's how most of America would read this today. 
Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, accept them. Make sure they know God loves them. Don't do anything that would make them feel bad or that, don't, don't, don't tell them they need to change. No. I think we've seen both extremes now, right? We all know the religious side that just beats people over the head and then now we know the accepting side, like let's find God's way, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. (laughs) Pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. God didn't save you to get something out of you, but he does encourage you to go out and do good works for the benefit of those who are around you. He doesn't need it from you. You're not doing these things for God. You're doing these things for your fellow brother and sister. Notice what large letters I write, I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross, of Christ, the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. Shock, 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 right? The only, they only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has died. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. (laughs) From now on, don't let anybody trouble me with these things. For I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Amen. The word of God is so good. So after last week, God doesn't save you to get something out of you. I went to Ephesians and I had a question for God. Anybody ever have a question for God other than Kurt? And I said, Lord, what about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10? God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. And I read that, I was like, well, did you save us for the good things or did you not save us for the good things? And here's what he spoke to my spirit. 
God didn't save us to get something out of us. Rather, he saved us out of love alone, by grace, through faith. Once saved, he does the work in us that results in good works. So he saves us not to get something from us, but to deposit something in us that enables us to do good works with joy and ease. Here's how we know if our good works are works of the flesh or works of the spirit. You ready? Because you can do good things out of your flesh. Here's how we know if it's works of the flesh or works of the spirit. The spirit brings life. The flesh brings decay. Works of the spirit energize us. Works of the flesh deplete us. Works of the spirit energize us. Works of the flesh deplete us. You should all take an inventory of your life, of the things that you're doing, the good things you're doing. And if they are pulling something out of you and you feel depleted afterwards, like you can't go on and all you're doing is griping about what you're doing, reevaluate and say, I'm doing these things out of the flesh. I'm trying to earn something from God. Stop it. Readjust. Because when you're doing good works by the Spirit, you will feel energized. And it's not that it won't be, it's not that it won't take work, Right? That's why he says, don't get weary of doing good. But recognize the difference. How many of y'all have ever been in that gripey situation where you're doing good works and you're just griping about it? Oh, buddy. Stop it. Stop it. The people of God can't be known for that. Man, that was good, wasn't it? Help us get God's word out to everyone who needs it by partnering with us financially. Your generous giving is what enables us to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Visit nolimits.fyi to give securely online. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a message. And thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.